we would continue to listen to your spirit in your name. Amen. Everybody warm? I'll tell you one thing, it's a lot warmer in here than it is out there. We need to talk about this weather thing for a minute. Because I'm from the Carolinas, and when I came to interview here, everybody said, it's not cold in Kansas. And ever since we've been here, it's been snowy and cold. So I feel like there was some fibbing that went on there or something. Uh, I don't know. But uh, I'm glad you guys made it out tonight and uh, happy to see this good crowd. I'm sure there's some of our Sunday folks that are in here uh, this evening as well. I want to welcome you. Um, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we always like to add a really special word of welcome. If it's your first or second time or you've just kind of been worshiping with us incognito, we just want to say thank you and uh, welcome. Um, as Aaron mentioned earlier, you notice the new Connect cards in the back of the seats in front of you. That's that green one there. If you didn't get a chance to fill one of those out as a, as a first-time guest, please do so. And then find me afterwards in the connection point. It's just outside the back doors. I'd love to be able to meet you. Um, and if you're a regular and you want to put some prayer requests, there's a large space on the back with lots of lines there for you for that as well if you'd like to, uh, to do that. So um, if you missed last week, uh, you know, it, it was the shortest message we've ever preached here. It, was, it, it wasn't convicting at all. I mean, it, uh, it took le- nearly no preparation, and I was completely, like, energized after the service last week. So it was really good. Um, but, uh, man, you know, I hate missing church. You know what I mean? Like, you get all prepared, and you're, and you're ready to come and worship and be together with, with, with your people. And then the snow comes. And, I, and like I said in the video last week, God gives us uh, intentional moments of rest. Sometimes he forces us to do so. And he knows better what we need than we do. I realize that. But I just want to say I missed you last week. And I'm glad you're back this week. Um, as of right now, everything's planning to be on for tomorrow, even if it's just a 20 people in a Bible study. Uh, we're going to have church tomorrow morning, too, uh, as much as we know right now. So uh, but we're just praying all this snowy mess goes around us. That would be fantastic, okay? Um, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you can do that. And then just put your finger there. We're going to come back to it in a little while. We're going to take a little bit of extra time uh, this, this evening to uh, introduce the topic before we jump into the passage. But I want you to go ahead and get there so that we can jump in uh, later on here in the talk today. So if you're just joining us, um, we're finishing up a series today that's called The Best Question Ever. And we started out this whole series uh, about four weeks ago, and we said this, this question, if you'll ask this question, it'll save you a lot of tears, a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of regret. And the question that we, that we kind of extracted from Ephesians chapter 5 was, what's the wise thing to do? And then we took that and we kind of got really personal and really clarifying with it, and we said, in light of your past experience, your present circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? To do. And my hope, as I've said throughout this entire series, is that you all, that all of us would take this question and we would apply it for the rest of our lives. That we would take it in every decision, every invitation, every opportunity, you would ask this question. And I wish we had some time to be able to go around the room and find out some great decisions that have been made in the room right now because you've been asking the question. Because I know many of you have. I've already heard a few stories of people that have come back and said, hey, Pastor Brian, I asked the question, and I feel like I made the wise choice. So that's, that's progress. That's fantastic. Uh, but I really believe it's something that can help us uh, change the future of our lives. But today I want us to look at one final area 
of our life when it comes to this area of wisdom and asking the question, okay? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in, all right? Lord, we thank you for the chance to gather uh, tonight. Uh, this is just a, it's a privilege to be able to come together. Lord, we, we, uh, we missed one another last weekend. Um, and God, we, uh, we just thank you for the chance to be together tonight to worship. I pray that uh, your word tonight would, uh, would take hold in our hearts, that we would be able to see the practicality of it, uh, but that we would more than that be able to see the power of it and the power that we have in our possession through your word, through your Holy Spirit, um, as you give us victory in the area of our lives that we're going to talk about tonight. God, would you give me wisdom with the words that I say, and uh, let me say only what you'd have me and nothing more. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Isn't it true that oftentimes when we're tempted to do something we know we shouldn't do, we have these little self-conversations in our heads? You ever do that? We've talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago, I know, but I want to kind of rehash it for a minute. Um, A lot of times when we're tempted to do something that's wrong, uh, remember how we said it's so easy to deceive ourselves because we're super smart? It's very easy for us to talk ourselves into things that we shouldn't do and talk ourselves out of things that we should do. But when we're tempted, many times we have these self-conversations and we talk ourselves into it. Now, we've also, over this series, talked a lot about past regrets, okay? And here's what I know about your regrets, all of them, just about probably. You didn't just wake up in the mess that you made, right? You were present for the beginning of that whole thing, the middle of it, and the culmination of it, the calamity or the mess in the end. It didn't just happen out of thin air, okay? It was very likely a series of unwise decisions that led you to a moment where there was no turning back. Am I right? Generally, that's the case. Now, I know we've touched on that a little bit, but I want us to go a little bit deeper today and figure out how that works in our minds and in our hearts when we are tempted. Here's how we do it. Here's how we make this series of unwise decisions. We say this phrase, now listen closely, there's nothing wrong with it. Look at your neighbor and say, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, we use it all the time. If you have a teenager, they might have even said it to you today in a conversation, very likely. And most of the time, we don't say there's nothing wrong with it out loud, but in our minds, we're having that self-conversation in a moment of temptation, and we say to ourselves, well, there's nothing wrong with it. And here's the thing, often you're right. Often you're right that the thing you're about to do, it may or may not be a right or a wrong thing. It may not be just a wise thing. And we, there's nothing wrong with it all the way up to the line. And then we fall over and we say things like, man, I don't know how I ended up falling in that way. But oftentimes, it's, it's our bad decisions and saying there's nothing wrong with it. But here's something I'd like to submit to you tonight. Think about this. It's a bad idea to assume that if something is not wrong, then it's right. It's a bad idea to assume that if something's not wrong, then it's right. Just because there's nothing wrong with it, that doesn't mean it's the right or the wise thing for you to do. Just because it's not wrong for the general population doesn't mean it's the right or the wise thing for you personally to do. I hope throughout this series you've seen how personal this question becomes. It's not about your neighbor. It's not even about your spouse. It's not about your your friends or your family. It's about you. And just because it's not a wrong thing to do does not make it a right thing to do. Someone say amen. There we go. Good. Now we've also seen that as Christians, we're commanded to go above what's right and wrong. And we're commanded, as Paul gave us in Ephesians 5, to ask the question and say, what's the wise thing to do? Because here's the thing. Look, you can get into a lot of trouble doing things that just aren't wrong. Can't you? 
Think back in your life to some of those unwise decisions that you've made. And you say, man, in the moment I said in my head or I said it out loud, well, there's nothing wrong with it. Maybe a friend uh, confronted you about it and you even told them, well, there's nothing wrong with it. And you were right. But I'm going to tell you, you can, there's nothing wrong or nothing wrong with it right into something wrong. Okay? You can, there's nothing wrong with it, friend, right into a situation that is absolutely wrong. And I've seen it time, time and time again in my life and in other people's lives as well. And so today, here's what I want us to do. I want us to take our question in light of my past experience, present circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do, and I want to apply it to your moral decisions and your sexuality. Okay? Now, listen, I know this is one of those topics. Everybody got really quiet right then when I said that. That was good. This is one of those topics that some people are like, oh, we shouldn't talk about that in church. And I would say, we need to talk about it in church. We need to talk about it. Because TV's talking about it, and your friends' kids at school are talking about it. Every advertisement you see is talking about it. So I think God's given us a lot of wisdom in his word that we ought to talk about it. I think that's a good place to say amen there. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about it tonight, and we're going to be, we're going to be careful with it. But I want us to think about this question in light of our morality in our sexuality. And here's what we know. Bad moral decisions are generally preceded by a series of unwise decisions. That's what we were just talking about. Those, that, that string of unwise decisions that led you into sin, it, it's even more so in this area of our morality and our sexuality. Bad moral decisions are preceded by a series of unwise decisions. Your greatest regret morally was probably preceded by a series of unwise decisions. You didn't just wake up in bed with that person. You didn't just wake up, men, addicted to pornography. It didn't just happen out of thin air. Listen, it's generally preceded by a whole lot of, well, there's nothing wrong with this. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, there's nothing wrong with me doing this. And you're right. But listen, it's leading you down a pathway to calamity and to destruction. Listen, so often we use that phrase, there's nothing wrong with it, and we get right up to the line with there's nothing wrong with it, and then we fall over it into sin that can't be taken back. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But in this area, there are many sins that can't be taken back. It's not about forgiveness. It's about consequence. Now listen, throw this up on the screen for me, guys, the next slide. We get there. We get to that moment <clears throat> excuse me, of calamity with there's nothing wrong with fill in the blank. Now go back in your mind to a moment when you've used this question. What do we fill in that blank with? There's nothing wrong with. Think about it in light of your work relationships, guys. Well, hey, there, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with having lunch with her. You know, she's my coworker. Nothing wrong with that, you know? I mean, there was supposed to be a group of people meeting us there for lunch, but it ended up just being me and her. And I know I wouldn't want my wife to know that I was just having lunch with her alone. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with having lunch with my coworker, and there's nothing wrong with eating, right? We all eat. God made us to be able to eat, so it's kind of a spiritual thing that we need to eat, right? You ever done this? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong. Let's keep going with me. There's nothing wrong with, with being her friend. You know, you hear phrases at times about her being your work wife, right? Listen, listen, there's nothing wrong with me being her friend. I mean, the Bible talks about we're supposed to show ourselves friendly. So again, this is a very spiritual thing. I need to be her friend. And here's the thing. She's going through some stuff. She's going through some stuff with her husband, and she needs somebody to talk to. And you know what? Listen, there's nothing wrong with listening. There's nothing wrong with listening to her, her problems because, man, I've heard some of the stuff that her, her husband's been doing to her, and it's not right, and I want to be a good friend, and I want to encourage her. And you know what? 
There's nothing wrong with listening because my parents, they always used to tell me, you got two ears and one mouth. You ought to listen twice as much as you speak, right? Yeah, your parents told you that. So my parents actually prepared me to listen and be Dr. Phil for this woman that I work with. There's nothing wrong with me sharing some of my problems with her too because my marriage isn't exactly what I want it to be every day of the week. There's nothing wrong with me sharing some struggles and issues that I'm having. You know what, listen, there's nothing wrong with working late. We're friends. They put us on that same project together. There's nothing wrong with working late. I mean, we, we got to get the job done. This is, God, God gave me this job. This is what we're supposed to be doing, and we got to get it done. There's a deadline. There's nothing wrong. I know there's no one else at the office, or I know there's no one else at my place of business at this point in the evening, but you know what? There's nothing wrong. There's no chapter and verse that's saying you can't stay and work late. There's nothing wrong with stopping by. You know what? She was out sick today, and you know, I just want to be a good friend, so you know, nothing wrong with stopping by her house. I mean, I, I want to be encouraged, right? She wasn't feeling well. You know, there's nothing wrong with stopping by, and there's, there's nothing wrong with a hug. You know, the Apostle Paul said, greet each other with a holy kiss, and I'm not even going that far, you know? I can greet her with a hug. Nothing wrong with a hug. And what happens? You've seen it. it, it, it the pathway is this. It's unwise, 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 unwise affair. You didn't just wake up in that. There was a list, there was a litany of unwise decisions that led us to that moment. And you said there's nothing wrong with, and you were right. But it led you to a place of sin. And it's a sin that we're going to talk about in a minute that you can't take back. There's something deep involved. There's soul-level stuff involved. And you, you ruin your family, potentially. And you ruin their family. And you bring on scars that you could have otherwise avoided if we had applied Paul's question from Ephesians chapter 5, right? Listen, this is serious. Now, what's so interesting about this is you all have watched a TV show where you've seen this whole pathway go down, haven't you? You're watching the TV show, and what I just described happens throughout an episode or two episodes, and at the end of the, at the, end of the show, like the last 30 seconds, you see the man walk up to the doorstep of the woman he's going to visit, right? And the music gets really ominous. And you're like, no, don't do it. And then they cut off the episode and you're ticked because you want to see what happens next. And you got to wait till next week. But really, though, you know what's going to happen, which is why something in you cries out, don't do it. Let's go a little closer to home. You've all watched friends go down this pathway or coworkers go down this pathway. Have you not? And oftentimes you might have even confronted them about it like a good friend should. And they said to you, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. And then they end up in sin. And so what I know is that it's easy for us to spot it in other people, but we're just so stinking smart that we can deceive ourselves in a skinny minute. Can we not? When it comes to our sexuality and moral decisions, we've got to ask this question, what's the wise thing to do? Now think about it. Think about it with social media. Let's do a couple more examples. Let's think about social media. Listen, statistically, I'm not picking on the ladies. I'll pick on the men a little bit, too. I'm not picking on the ladies for a minute here, okay? Statistics would say you spend more time on social media than men do. Think about the social media pathway, right? You got that old boyfriend or that old friend that reaches out and tries to friend you on Facebook, and what do we say? Oh, there's nothing wrong with friending him. I don't want him to be upset at me. I don't want him to think I'm a jerk. You know, I, I, I kind of have wondered what he was up to. I mean, we used to hang out a lot in high school and, you know, or in college, and, man, maybe I should friend him. There's nothing wrong with baking in my friend on Facebook. And then, well, there's nothing wrong with 
saying funny things back and forth on our wall. That's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. You know, we can handle that. It's, there's no, no, no harm, no foul. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Well, there's nothing wrong with doing private messages to one another. Because, I mean, I actually heard he just went through a divorce, and I don't want him to be embarrassed when he answers. I don't want him to put it publicly, so I'm going to send him a private message. There's, there's nothing wrong with sending him a private message. Well, there's nothing wrong with sending another cluster of private messages, right? right? This, this, these are real scenarios that happen every single day, and I've seen marriages split over stupid Facebook. Listen, I'm not against social media. It's a wonderful tool, but it can lead us down a pathway of unwise unwise, unwise. Well, there's nothing wrong with meeting up in person to have coffee with him. I mean, we're just going to get coffee. Like, I've seen my pastor drink coffee. There's nothing wrong with coffee, you know. He drinks too much coffee. Uh, and we're going to meet up for coffee, and, and, and it's unwise, unwise, unwise affair. And you never, if, I, if you'd asked the person in the beginning of that pathway, you said, where do you want to end up? They wouldn't have answered with, I want to end up in an affair. That's not where they wanted to go. And yet the decisions they were making were building a vehicle that could only carry them there. The, the decisions that you're making are building a vehicle to carry you somewhere, okay? And, and, and some of us want something we can't have because the decisions we're making are leading us in a direction on a pathway to a place of calamity and not a place of victory like God would have for us. Teenagers, think about you guys for a minute, okay? Teenagers say, you know, there's nothing wrong with dating alone. Nothing wrong with being by ourselves and dating along. I mean, like, I, I like hanging out with my parents and stuff while we date, but, like, we want to talk freely, and we can't talk freely when mom and dad's in the room. We want to build our relationship. We want it to grow, and so there's nothing wrong with dating by ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with, like, parking and taking in a sunset. <laughs> parents, if you believe that, I've got some swamp land that I'd love to sell you down in Florida, okay? Listen, listen. Your teenage son is not going to take in the sunset because that little girl next to him is way prettier to him than anything he's ever seen painted in the sky, okay? Just saying. And Kansas sunsets are pretty, but it just doesn't, weigh, it, it doesn't outweigh it, all right? Teenagers, back to you. There's nothing wrong with, with parking and taking in sunset. Everybody parks. We go to the store, we park. We go to Dillon's, we park. We go to church, we park. Nothing wrong with parking. I mean, it's a, it's a natural thing you do with a car. We park. There's nothing wrong with turning on some nice... Lovey music. Nothing wrong with that. I think God, God gave us love songs as a gift, right? Nothing wrong with love songs. Nothing wrong with holding hands, you know? Her hands were cold. She's my girlfriend. I mean, nothing wrong with holding hands. There's nothing wrong with a little kiss. Show me a chapter and verse where it says, Thou shoutest not as kissest your girlfriendest, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not one. I really wish God had put that one in there. I really, really do. Nothing wrong with a little kiss. Nothing wrong with a little longer kiss. And what's the pathway? We're laughing, but listen, what's the pathway look like? Unwise, 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 unwise sexual mistake that you cannot take back. And listen, I've counseled enough students in my day to know this happens on the regular. And parents, let's be real for a minute, it's your job to protect them from a lot of that. All right? Students, it's your job to ask the question, What's the wise thing to do? But don't we all, if we're honest, we say, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it right until we land in a place of sin. Now, there's areas of your life that you can look for the line and you can walk right up to it. You know that? There's areas of your life where you can push the envelope. You know, we're talking about students for a minute. Think about your curfew. If your curfew is 10 p.m., don't, 
come home at 9 o'clock, all right? If your curfew is 9 o'clock, use it all. Come home at 10 on the nose. Because here's the thing. If you're two minutes late, don't make a habit of that. That's not, that's not respectful of the rules. But is it going to destroy you? No. It, the, the consequences are minimal. Listen, if you're on a diet and you're counting calories, right? Use them all, all right? Why would you not? I'm trying to eat healthier. Yesterday we went out to eat and I had some vegetables. I had a plate of onion rings. It was very good for me, okay? <laughs> Listen, but if you're counting calories, you can stumble over the line when it comes to calories. Look, if you're budgeting for a vacation, spend it all. Use all of it. Because if you spend an extra $200 on Mickey Mouse down in Florida like we do sometimes, it's not the end of the world and the consequences are small. But listen, in the area of your morality and your sexuality, it's not a thing that you can look for the line on. It's one you've got to be even more cautious about. And so we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 6 here. And listen, hear this out. If there is a God that loves you, and there is, what would you expect him to say about this topic? Like, we've walked through some scenarios, some real-life scenarios. We've talked about some of the struggles and temptations that we all have, we, the, the, uh, the decisions and opportunities presented us. What would you expect God to say about it? Well, Paul, again, remember Paul from Ephesians, right? He wrote Ephesians. He also wrote Corinthians. He wrote, look, the church in Corinth was messed up. We'll just throw that out there right now, okay? If you're feeling bad about yourself, read about the Corinthians. You'll feel really good about yourself really quickly. This was a messed up bunch of people. Many of them were Christians, they were believers, but they were carrying in some of their messed up sexual stuff from their pre-Jesus days into the church, and it was a mess. And so Paul is addressing them here in this letter, and it's perfectly fitting for what we're talking about today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. The first point in your notes there, if you're taking notes, is in the arena of our sexuality, don't even get close to the line. 1 Corinthians 6, this is Paul writing. He says, flee from sexual immorality. In the Greek, that means flee from sexual immorality. All right? He's not holding back. There's no, there's no holding here, okay? This, it, it, it's absolutely what it says. Flee from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, he just did a blanket with this one. It's any kind of sexual sin. It's premarital. It's extramarital. It's pornography. It's homosexuality. It's all these things that we would lump into sexual sin. He doesn't let anybody get a pass. All right? And he says, flee from it. What does flee mean? It means run. He says, don't sit there and try to talk yourself into it. Don't sit there and rationalize it. He says, flee, run. Flee, don't flirt. That's a great way to remember it. Flee, don't flirt with it. Listen, because this is something where you can be destroyed so quickly and he says don't mess around with it don't even get close to it don't look for the line flee you know this is what every wife wants her husband to do right this is what every wife wants her husband to do this is what every husband wants his wife to do this is what every parent wants their teenager to do this is what every good older brother wants their younger teenage sister to do and yet so often we can talk ourselves out of running and we get as close as we can with there's nothing wrong with it, don't we? We're given a great example of fleeing in the Old Testament. Look at Genesis 39 with me really quick. We're just going to touch this one really quickly. The story of Joseph, you may be familiar with it. If you're not, Joseph had had a pretty rough life up to this point. He was, he was a pretty good dude for all practical purposes. He was, he was favored by his father, had a great relationship there. 
had, other, had brothers, a bunch of brothers. Uh, they hated him because he was favored. They thought about killing him and almost did, but one of the brothers stepped up and talked them out of it. So they, they took his, his, his famous robe that we all know about, the robe of many colors, right? And they took it and they covered it with blood, took it back to his father and said, Father, your son's dead. And they sold him into slavery in Egypt. He had a pretty rough life. Well, here in the story, things have begun to turn around. Because when he went to Egypt, he got hooked up with Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was one of the captains of the guard. He worked for Pharaoh. This guy was a big deal, all right? And he's working in Potiphar's house. I'm setting all this up for you. He's working in Potiphar's house. Potiphar trusts him with everything. He's been faithful. He's been obedient. He's worked hard, and he's been favored in Potiphar's house. Now, the problem is, is Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife thinks she's a desperate housewife of Egypt or something, <clears throat> and she takes a liking to Joseph, and she tries to seduce him. And again, I mean, you, people that think the Bible's boring, it's not boring. I mean, this is clear as day in there. First book of the Bible, okay? And she tries to seduce this guy. Watch what he does. Watch what he does, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. So one day, Genesis 39, 11 to 12, one day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. He didn't stay around and flirt with it, did he? He didn't mess around with it. He didn't stand there and try to rationalize himself into staying there with her, did he? Because think about it. Remember his past? He's had a rough life. And he's thinking, things are finally turning up. I don't want to mess up what I've got going here. These are all things we would have thought. He probably could have thought, well, maybe I can just stay in here and talk to her and, like, stick around, and maybe I can talk her out of it. Maybe I can give her a massage because there's nothing wrong with giving someone a massage, and maybe she'll, that'll be good enough for her. He didn't do it, though. What did he do? He left his coat, and he ran. Listen, this is exactly what Paul's saying. In the arena of your life, of sexuality and morality, you cannot flirt with sin. You can't even make the series of unwise decisions. He says, run from it. Flee from it. Don't mess around. Create space between you and the potential sexual sin. <clears throat> Create guardrails. And don't look for the line. Because here's the reality. Listen close. Unwise decisions will actually weaken your conscience. Unwise decisions actually weaken our conscience. You see, if we don't run, like Paul said, and we choose to look for the line, and, and, and with a path of unwise decisions, those unwise decisions are a very slippery slope in the area of morality and sexuality. When we make an unwise decision in this arena, and there are no immediate consequences, we feel more comfortable going farther the next time, don't we? It actually begins to weaken it weakens your conscience. It's a lot like a gymnast. You guys ever watch the Olympics? I like watching those gymnasts because they can do things I cannot do. I mean, I, I, there, there's just no way. Some of the flips and tricks that they can do, it's amazing. I saw a video recently on YouTube about uh, these gymnasts, the ones that can do the, the double backflips and triple backflips off the ground. Like they're just, they're running and they can do it right on the hard ground. Do you understand they don't start there? They don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to do a double backflip or a triple backflip and just jump and do it. Because there's something built into every single one of us called self-preservation. And all of us know, if I try to backflip right now off the ground, I'm going to break my neck. We have this natural inhibition to us, don't we? It's what keeps you from touching a hot stove. It's what keeps you from falling off a cliff, okay? That, that's built into all of us. These gymnasts, they take it slowly, one step at a time. 
that what they do first, you can go, go on YouTube and watch it later tonight. <clears throat> they run as fast as they can, and they do all the tricks on the ground they can, and they do that flip, but they don't flip onto the ground. They try that double backflip into this giant foam pit. And there's no, there's no consequence. They, they sit up, they say, oh, that went well. I didn't break my neck, that's good. Let's try it again the next time. And they'll do that until they're comfortable backflipping into a foam pit, right? It, it begins to remove some of those inhibitions. The next stage is they take this padded mat that looks like hard ground, and they put it on top of the foam pit. And so the idea is that you kind of mentally are preparing for a hard ground, but if you mess up, there's still no immediate consequence. You guys with me? And they run and they do their flip, and they try to land on there and try to land on that padded mat on top of the foam pit. And then they go the next step. Once they're comfortable there, their inhibitions have been, have been released, they, they take that padded mat and they put it on the hard ground, and they start to do their flips on there until they can land it on the, hard, on the, the padded mat. And then eventually you see what you see at the Olympics. Listen, it's the same way when it comes to our unwise decisions in this area. If you continually make unwise decisions in regards to your morality and sexuality, each time you make one and you don't see an immediate consequence, it gives you too much comfort to go at least that far, if not further, the next time. And it'll weaken your discernment. It'll weaken your conscience. Look at this quote that I found. You, know, you may be familiar with John Wesley. He was an amazing evangelist back in the 1700s. His mother, uh, Susanna Wesley, she's quoted as saying this, and I think we've got a slide to show you. Whatever weakens our, your reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Isn't that so true? Those unwise decisions you continue to make over and over again, they're leading you down a path to destruction, and they're removing some of, your, some of your inhibitions, just like that gymnast that we talked about. As I mentioned earlier, listen, every one of us is building a vehicle with every decision that we make that's carrying us somewhere. And for many of us, the decisions we've been making, the vehicle is taking us somewhere that we don't want to be. And if we want to be people that are pure and blameless and enjoy sexuality the way God designed it to be, We've got to begin to make wise decisions, and that begins with running from the temptation. You guys with me? Amen? Number two, we're almost done. Keep going. Number two, sexual sin is unlike any other sin. Look at verse 18 again. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually against their, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. We know, we all know this is true, don't we? Listen, as a pastor who's counseled various people over the years, almost every single time there's a complicated counseling situation, you know what's at the root of it? It's some level or measure of sexual sin. Almost every time, unequivocally. And we all know there's more to it. Culture will tell you, it's just sex. We all know it's not true. God's designed it to be a, a physical connection, but there's this soul-level connection that gets scarred when we mess around with it in a way that God has not designed us to. Now listen, this is, not, this is not a thing of forgiveness. It's absolutely a thing of consequence. It's absolutely, I mean, we, look, look at Scripture. You think about the New Testament. The woman caught in adultery that's brought to Jesus. Remember that story? Like what? This woman was literally caught in the act of adultery, and they bring her naked and throw her down on the ground in front of Jesus. 
He forgives her, but what's he tell her to do? He says, go and what? Don't sin anymore. Go and stop sinning. It wasn't a thing of forgiveness. It's a thing of consequence. God has designed it to be something that draws us nearer to one another within marriage. And when we go around messing with the counterfeits of it, which is all the enemy has to throw at us, by the way, it mars it and it scars us. And there's guilt and there's shame and there's regret that you can't take back. God will forgive it. But there are scars that are there that go deep and they last a lifetime. Paul says, listen, sexual sin is unlike any other sin. Look at the last one. Number three, in the area of sexuality, we're called to a higher standard. In the area of sexuality, we're called to a higher standard. Look at the verses with me. Paul's going to lift our eyes up to a higher standard here in this arena. Go to that passage for me, guys. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now look at this last part of the verse here. This is verse 20 in your Bibles. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. This is different and higher than right or wrong. This is different and higher than there's nothing wrong with it. This is different or higher than what everybody else is doing. He says, honor God with your bodies. Stop getting close to the line. Understand the consequences are great. And begin to honor God with your bodies. So instead of asking, how close can I get, what are we to ask? How can I honor God with my body? How can I honor God with my body? I mean, think about it for a minute, guys. If you made that decision today and you begin to ask that question and operate in it, do you think a year from now you'll have more regrets or less regrets? If you begin to ask that question right now and apply it, a year from now, do you think you're going to have more guilt in this area or less guilt? Do you think you're going to have better relationships or worse relationships? Listen, God gives us wisdom on this topic because it's incredibly important. And it's something that our culture takes very flippantly. And I'll just tell you this, guys. I think one of the, the greatest hindrances to us operating wisely in this area is culture. Because listen to what culture does. Culture will bait you right up to the line. Every TV show, every movie, every song, every advertisement, every billboard, every pop-up is something sexual. And they'll bait us right all the way to the line. And the moment you step over and you fall, they chastise you and they condemn you, don't they? And yet, so often, like we talked about in Ephesians 5, most people, Christians included, just pick up their feet and they go with the flow of culture in this area of sexuality. And we don't have guardrails and we're not careful and we end up having the same messes that those who don't know Jesus have. Paul says, look, you're called to be different. You're called to a higher standard. You're called to guard your eyes, men, in a different way so you don't go down this path. Listen, you didn't end up addicted to pornography. You didn't wake up addicted to it. It was an unwise decision after unwise decision, not guarding your eyes, putting your place, yourself in a place where you could sin, and then messing up time and time again. And listen, I'm not throwing stones at you. God wants to bring healing to your life. God wants better for you than that. But I'm going to tell you, culture does not. So we've got to, as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, say, you know what? I'm going to stop picking up my feet and going with the flow of culture. Because like we said, the flow will take you somewhere you don't want to go. 
And we're going to put our feet down and we're going to take a stand and we're going to be careful and we're going to be wise in this area of our sexuality. Amen? So what do we do? A couple things. Ask the question for the rest of your lives. Sounds big, but I want you to do it. Ask the question for the rest of your lives. What's the wise thing to do so I can honor God with my body? If you'll ask that question a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, listen, oh, you'll be so glad you did. Ask the question. The second piece of it is this. For, for some of you in the room, you need to take a break. Some, some of you, I've talked about the men a little bit tonight. Listen, some of you need to throw the computer in the trash can. It's too easy for you to go down that pathway. You've talked yourself into it too many times. You've not seen enough immediate consequences to it. And you keep falling into it. Part of running is setting up wise guardrails and taking a break. And for some of you, you might just, let's just be really real. Throw the computer away. Lock it away. Give your wife the key. Ladies, some of you might need to just delete some apps off your phone. You might need to just delete Facebook and whatever else you're connecting with other people on. I, I don't know what it is for you. But some of us need to take a break from those areas because here's the thing when it comes to sexual sin. There are barbs and there are claws that chain us to sexual sin once we engage in them. Again, unlike most other sins, you need accountability. And we're here to encourage you in that. You need accountability. You need guardrails. You need to be honest with yourself about it or you're never going to get better. Right? Listen, some of you need to take a break. For those that are dating, single people, teenage people, some of you might need to take a, date for, a break from dating. You may need to take six months off. Say, hey, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to date. I'm not going to think about girls. I'm not going to think about guys for six months or a year. And, and, and maybe that's your thing. I don't know what it is. Look at your life. Ask the question and take a break in the areas where you need to take a break and, and create some distance. Now, I know what you're thinking. You can close your Bibles. Listen here. We're, we're done. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Brian, you live in a cave. They let you out for a couple hours on the weekend to preach, and then they put you back in so you don't know what's going on in the world. Right? I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. Listen, I know. I live in a cave. But listen, it, it, you hear messages like these, and you say, well, you know what, Pastor Brian? Nobody else is doing that. Nobody else is living this way. You know what? You're right. There are very few people living this way in our world today. But listen, to get what few people have, you've got to be willing to do what few people will do. To get what few people have, you've got to be willing to do what few people will do. And I know this about every one of you. Not a single one of you wants to be average. Not a single person in this room or on the planet is willing to settle for average in any area of their life. Why would you do it in this area of your life? Why would we do it in this area of our life that's so vitally important? One that can scar us. One that can damage our families and our relationships. Not a single one of you wants to be average. But that's exactly what we choose by default when we don't take a stand in this area in our life. Listen, God wants more for you than average. I did, a, I did a series one time with my teenagers years ago, and I called it Best Sex Ever. I know that sounds inappropriate. I get it. I, I understand it. Listen, that's what God wants for you married people. But we're robbing ourselves with counterfeits from the enemy. 
because we don't take it seriously in this area of our life. Am I right? God wants it for you. And listen, you owe it to yourself to ask the question. We started this series saying, you know what? If you're, if, when you ask the question, the, whatever bristles up inside of you when you ask it and find out the answer tells you a lot about yourself. If you don't want to heed wisdom, you don't have your own best interest at heart. And if you don't, who else in this life will? If you're unwilling to ask the question and apply it, nobody else is going to apply it to your life. And God cares. God wants it. God wants a purified people for himself. And I'm going to tell you, you will have the best marriage you've ever seen. Teenagers in the future, you'll have the best relationship and marriage you've ever seen if you'll apply the simple truths that Paul gave us. Listen, let's throw our question back up there. We're finishing the series right here. In light of our past experience, present circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Listen, if you'll ask that question in the arena of your sexuality, you're going to look back a year from now, five years from now, and you're going to say, man, I'm glad I did. I'm so glad I heeded wisdom and I allowed God to change me in this area of my life. Let's stop looking for the line and start asking the question, what's the wise thing to do? Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, for how practical it is. God, I, I just, I know this is a timely message, Lord. God, the enemy has wreaked havoc in the church in this area. God, make us different. God, change us. Help us to heed wisdom and guard ourselves and defend ourselves against the enemy. God, I, I want that for our people. God, I want that for my life. Help us like Paul has said. God, help us to flee sexual immorality. And Father, be honored as we do so. Show this community that we're different in this way. And God, give us the healthiest families, the healthiest marriages, the healthiest relationships that we could ever imagine. We'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name. As the band begins to play, if God's dealt with your heart, feel free to pray there in your seats. You're welcome to. You're welcome to use the front up here if you'd like. And if, if, I know this one hits close to home with a lot of people. If you need prayer with one of our elders, let us know. Let us connect you with them. Come find me in the connection point. Come find one of us in the front. We'd be happy to pray with you. Let's all stand together. And we're going to sing one final song.
Jesus' name. You guys sing it out. Christ alone. Christ alone. have a seat just for a minute. So God's been bringing us some really great families to join our church. Uh, you saw one join a couple weeks ago. Uh, I've had another one approach me about joining tonight. And so I'm going to invite uh, Jake and Virginia Newfield. Newfield where, there they are back there. Perfect. Uh, they're going to come on up. Let's give them a hand as they come up. So we're very excited to have them join our membership. And uh, so Pastor Chad's going to come up and kind of walk them through that process. You can come on up here and you guys can stand there on the stage so everybody can All see right. you. There you go. Cool. We're so excited to have uh, Jake and Virginia, Virginia want to 
jump in with our, this, this family and um, uh, if you've never understood and just want to kind of help cast a little vision, the reason we come forward and the reason we um, do this little, little, little thing we do or we, we, we repeat this good confession, um, Jake and Virginia, they, they serve uh, in our church. Uh, in fact, Jake's going to be helping us drive the bus for Women's Encounter. And you're, are you serving, you're serving at Women's Encounter? A first-time attender at Women's Encounter this, here in a couple of weeks. Yes. Jake's driving the bus. He's going to make sure she gets there safely and all the women. Um, they're in life group together. They're in community together. Uh, and, and so, they, I mean, they're part of the body. They're part of this family. Um, but uh, what's, what's awesome about this, this little confession we do um, is that we get a chance together as family to declare what we believe about Jesus. And I think that's something um, that you can't do enough of, right? Um, to declare to the world, to declare to each other, uh, what we believe about Jesus. And so when, when, when somebody wants to be a member, we, we like to talk to them. We want to make sure they're, you know, we, we, uh, we believe in, in baptism by immersion and, and, and what the Bible's about. And we, we, we get together and we talk about that. But we want to come forward. We want you to be able to see them and, and together as a family make this declaration. So I'm going to um, ask you guys to repeat after me. We're going to invite you guys as family to jump in with us and, and join them in this. Sound good? All right. Um, I, believe, I, believe I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. All right, guys, give him a round of applause. Thank you guys so much. So excited. Have, have a great week. Uh, stay warm this weekend. Thank you.